Brought to you by Make Fun Network. Disclaimer. Please do not email us about the historical inaccuracies we are sure to make. We are not historians. We are idiots. Welcome to um, Anachronismo. I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And joining us this week is LJ, who is uh, a part of a normal, regular, uh, weekly radio show. That is accurate. Yes. Could you? Would you want to tell us about that radio show? Sure. I'll start with it's not as typical as you would normally have, but it's mm-hmm. about bikes. Mm-hmm. So think car talk. It's called bike talk. <laughs> Um, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's an hour long radio show. We talk about anything and all things bike related, which when you hear my story later will make a lot of sense. You can listen to the radio show on MIT's radio station. It's a public radio station, 88.1 WMBR. And you can also listen online in the archives at WMBR.org. We're on every other Wednesday at 7 p.m. Cool. Now, what about tricycles? Do they ever make it into the the rotation or just bikes? What about adult tricycles? Yes. Not my personal arsenal, but I know people that that ride tricycles. Tricycles for children, great. For adults, also great if they have some sort of disability that keeps them from being able to ride a normal bike. Gets everybody out. What if they just like tricycles? What if they like having a big old basket on the back that they can just tool around with? Also acceptable. Cool. Anything that gets you on wheels and out of a car, in my opinion, is fantastic. What about a tandem bicycle, but with a bear on the back of it? Hell yeah. Okay. <laughs> what about a four-wheeled bicycle that looks like a car, but is pedal-driven? Also seen it. They use, like, wind guards. That's mm-hmm. how they do the speed contest. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's pretty impressive. In favor, though? Totally in favor. There's also a guy who rides something like that in, like, northern Scandinavian region because it's so cold. It keeps him protected. Mm. So he's, like, in a little car, but he's biking the whole time. Oh, oh that's cool. cool. What is the bike called where, like, everyone is facing in the middle of a circle and you kind of move around? Oh, yeah. I've seen I've seen the video of that. I'm trying to visualize like this the, thing and the, it makes... The bar ones where it's, like, everybody is riding the bar around the city essentially and they're drinking while they pedal petty uh no what's it Maybe. called I, I was envisioning I, like everyone just in a in a circle yeah. just all pedaling towards each other and no one's moving <laughs> at all even though they're trying really hard I, it's like that but you do move somewhere mm-hmm. like you're all facing each other and you all pedal it's all it's all hooked it up move. so that it moves in a, in a direction at all yeah i've well, seen that it's a thing i haven't seen that in person i've seen videos i know what i'm looking up after the show because I, 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 I can't vi- i can't visualize what's what's happening in this scenario i can't imagine or, it's actually good from getting from a to b but it's, it's probably, like a social kind of yeah, it's probably okay. a social i can't thing. visualize it without alcohol in the middle that everyone's like holding is it because of the eye contact yes <laughs> okay yeah i could see that it'd make me very uncomfortable yeah like especially like if you're all if you're going in one direction then and you're all the circle like doesn't even see what's going on behind him it's like a weird trust fall kind of thing where the team building exercise yeah plus you know you're, you're, you're all you're all seeing each other's like sweaty faces you know mm. you're seeing your exercise face oh yeah especially if you're sitting across from someone you do not just want to sit across from <laughs> yeah. like, uh, you're there for a while yeah you're stuck so in favor or against those in favor. Uh, Can you imagine that in the bike lane? <laughs> Just a monster. <laughs> so what are we talking about today? <laughs> Can they use the carpool lane? No, no, no it's not a car. It's not a car. Not a car. Yeah, no, but no, I don't no. know. Yeah, I don't know. You get enough people well, right, pedaling, yeah. maybe they could get a pretty bikes good speed. Aren't cars? Okay. Well, bikes, not- bikes are vehicles, but they are not allowed on limited yeah. access, or they're not allowed on highways. And tunnels mm-hmm. and something else. Yeah, can't can take be a on, bike underground. They freak out. They can be on limited <laughs> access highways, though, like mm-hmm. Sturro, technically, though. I don't know why you would want to do that. So uh, this week, I'm going to be talking about John Murray's spear and the new motive power. Uh, John Murray was a 19th century abolitionist, uh, women's rights activist, and American universalist preacher. Uh, and he eventually founded the Church of the New Motive Power, where he tried to build a robotic Christ. And uh, I, I think, you know, there's more to his life than just a robotic Christ, but that is pretty big. Um, I hope that's what we're focusing on, though. Yeah, do you um, want yeah. us to keep speculation at a minimum? Because 
I immediately just envision like one of those Chuck E. Cheese mechanical rats who's like, "Is it your birthday today?" Oh, I'm imagining. I'm imagining Dogma with the buddy Jesus little <laughs> handguns. I'm thinking like he doesn't bot. What? But Jesus. Oh yeah, he doesn't no, bot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus. Mm-hmm. Well, you'll all have to wait and see, or rather not see, because I'm going to describe it. With my mouth words. So you're going to have to paint well, a sad. picture in your head. <laughs> Visualize. Visualize. With our listeners. Well, I'm going to be telling a story about, if you can believe it, bicycling. <laughs> what? What? I know, right? Is that that thing where you're in a stone car and you're barefoot and you start pushing with your feet and everyone's pushing with their feet and you shout yabba dabba do and you start going and you you drive the stone car places and eventually you go to a drive-in movie theater and get a stack of ribs so big that your car tips over and your dinosaur pokes out to the top that's correct that's correct i can uh, see i've got what bicycling is down <laughs> actually you're not that far off from the first bicycle so my story going to start with a little lead in about how the bicycle was actually a great instrument for the women's liberation movement and how women used the bicycle to push themselves forward the suffragettes used it they went around with banners for vote for women and that all leads into my story for the day which is about Annie Londonderry who was the first woman to bicycle around the world. Kick ass. Oh, yeah. cool. And they literally used it to push themselves forward. Yes. Because they were on bicycles. Mm-hmm. And that's how bicycles work. You're so smart. I am smart. Look at these glasses. <laughs> I'm so excited. I got all the facts right. So uh, in 1804, uh, John Murray Smith was born to the Spear family of Boston with an older brother, a year older than him, named... Charles Spear. Uh, and they were both raised in the First Universalist Church of Boston and baptized by the founder of American Universalism, John Murray. So John Spear takes as his confirmation name, John Murray, becomes John Murray Spear. So American Universalism is one of like the nice, nice versions of Christianity. Their basic whole thing is no loving God would ever damn someone to an eternal damnation. So by virtue of being God's creations, we're all saved. So hell literally doesn't exist. Things are good and we should help each other while we're here. It's a nice, it's a nice little thing. It's not nice. It is nice. Yeah. So John and Charles grew up in the Universalist Church and after being apprenticed to a shoemaker and a printer respectively, they eventually became Universalist printer up. Uh, Universalist <laughs> preachers themselves. Oh. Yeah. And they would, and they preached in uh, various parts of Massachusetts together. Brother preachers. It's, it's pretty cute. Every it's step a- you take, your footstep leaves the song. <laughs> <laughs> so John Murray, uh, even ended up briefly as the ordained minister of the Barnstable Universalist Church in 1830. But this was also the time that his brother Charles became, began what would become a lifelong campaign for the abolition of the death penalty. So, He joined with his brother in voicing their opposition to the death penalty and spent about six years in the area. And by 1835, they were both vocal opponents of the death penalty at Universalist General Conventions and would both – what we would expect a fire and brimstone preacher to do except just yelling against the death penalty and its inhumaneness and how it's not Christ-like and how it soils the people around it and it's you know truly unfair because how can – there be evil souls when you're all saved and so on and so forth. They were actually both pretty loud about all their political views. Uh, they were both founding members of the radical pacifist New England Non-Resistance Society, which swore to do no violence and partake in no worldly government, which they saw both of as being uh, forms of control uh, over others that they uh, refused to take part in. You know, they sound like good guys, right? They, they sound like they got a lot of good views, good dudes. Do you dudes. pay taxes when what? you're – What? When you're anti-government, do you pay taxes? Well, wouldn't by having a church be a good way to avoid taxes? Yeah, they they oh, don't already. True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, good answer. Uh, maybe <laughs> maybe church should pay taxes. Who knows? So, like, if, if they have a fire in their house, do they do they call the fire brigade? Mm, they call the fire brigangels. I'm pretty sure at that. So time, their house burns down. <laughs> I'm pretty sure at that time you had to like actually. I think fire departments were private at that time. Uh. I, I don't know. I, I remember reading about bucket brigades. It was more of a community thing because so many places were made out of wood and mm-hmm. thatch roofs that everyone was like, oh, a fire. We should all stop that fire or all of us will be homeless and dead. So if they had a relative who sent them a really lovely Christmas card mm-hmm. through the United States postal system, what do you think they did with that card? They enjoyed it. It sounds like they are condoning uh, the government if they are uh, benefiting from the postal service. Boom. Uh, I guess I guess they just never sent any mail. 
Now, what are the postal offices burning down? <laughs> well, not their problem. Not their. <laughs> okay. Thought it was a Although, community effort, but. Well, and, you know, they had this whole thing about helping others. Mm. Oh, true. Mm. Forgot about that. That's probably more of the guiding principle. Yeah. Than uh, anti-government participation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they weren't just anti-government and anti-violence and anti-death penalty. They were also anti-slavery. In 1841, they organized and led the first and second universalist anti-slavery conventions. And John Murray Spear was also a leader among the Boston Vigilance Committee, which helped escaped slaves. He was, uh, it was one of the stops on the Underground Railroad. So Charlie ended up as the general agent of the Massachusetts Society for the Appalachian of Capital Punishment and was for his entire life an ardent crusader for the reformation of the prison system and the rehabilitation of criminals rather than punishment, served as an army chaplain and briefly attempted to reform an army-run hospital to work according to his ideas before he got booted by a pro-slavery hospital director. He and his second wife apparently ran anti-death penalty newspapers and hospitals entirely on donated funds. I just wanted to include that in the story because... He's a cool dude, deserves to be remembered by history, and we are the final arbiters of that. Um, <laughs> what we say will be heard by dozens, dozens throughout the greater Boston area. <laughs> People for generations will remember uh, this. This will be taught in classrooms, what we say here today. Oh, God. But to be fair, because it's on the internet, it will last forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not going anywhere. Sounds like you're the final arbiter of history. That's right. <laughs> you can me. just edit out the parts you don't like. And I can make you say dumb stuff. I know. Like I'm about to right now. Bear. In a carpool lane? Ah, hilarious. I also, <laughs> I also misheard you earlier, and I thought you said that they ran abolitionist hospitals. Yeah, he ran a an army hospital, tried to reform an army-run hospital to run according to his ideas, but was booted by the hospital director who was pro-slavery, and he because he was an abolitionist. The sentence you said after that. Oh, he and his second wife ran anti-death penalty newspapers and hospitals entirely on donated funds. Okay, so I thought you meant anti-death penalty hospitals, that like the hospitals for some reason had a stance that was anti-death penalty. We won't treat anyone who's... In favor of the death penalty. We will let them die as a penalty for supporting the The death death penalty. (laughs) (laughs) My sleep at night is confusing. (laughs) (laughs) So, wanted to give Charlie his big ups. And I want to get right back into talking about John. John Murray became a leading voice in the American abolitionist movement, worked alongside Frederick Douglass, and would pick a lot of fights with more, quote-unquote, moderate voices. He, in fact, led a massive fight against the American and Foreign Anti-Slavery Society, a moderate group that wanted a gradual reduction in slaves with accommodations made for slave states. John thought that was bullshit. Uh, and even advocated for active political punishment of slave states. Economic sanctions, uh, reduced representation, ironically, <laughs> all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, he was like, no, we should punish them for owning slaves. That's clearly evil, and evil people shouldn't be re- represented in government. So uh, John Spear was so vocally anti-slavery that in Massachusetts, he was attacked by a mob after one of his anti-slavery lectures. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, Boston. Yeah, Boston, notorious pro-slavery city. Uh, he became a hated figure in Southern politics after his work in the legal process of freeing Lucy Faggins, who was an escaped slave. Uh, so yeah, cool dude. Put his money where his mouth was, was beat up a lot, didn't fight back, physically fight back. He fought back with his words uh, and ideas. Uh, just really led, led a pretty virtuous life. You can't hurt me, Bostonians. I'm not wearing any underwear. Mm-hmm. I've got robot Jesus to protect me. <laughs> we're not getting to that yet. He wasn't oh. there yet. Oh, what is it happening? Uh, it's we're getting there. I just he. I just want to say, you know, he had a he had a wild idea later in life, but that doesn't negate the very cool work he did. That's wait. So is the robot Jesus a bad thing in the long run? Is that why we have to give it's... him a positive note at the beginning? Well, no, it's just like I want like he's remembered mostly for the robot Jesus thing, uh, but he also deserves to be rem- remembered for all the other good all the other yeah. good stuff. Like he did a lot of good stuff. Uh, but I want to hear about robot. Jesus. We're getting there. I, feel I like know it's going it to be like a sad so Gollum much... story. Mm. I was hoping more like RoboCop. RoboCop. <laughs> Dead or alive, you're fighting slavery. God, I shouldn't have led with the robot Jesus. <laughs> I should have let it be a surprise. Yeah, and then we wouldn't all be just hanging on waiting for robot Jesus. Yeah. Uh. Turning water into. Oil. Oil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he was threatened with lawsuits and forced to resign from his work in New Bedford as a preacher. But he 
That didn't stop him. He worked alongside his brother Charlie, writing for the newspaper, The Prisoner's Friend, and helping to formalize and create the job of, guess what? Guess what job he helped create? Wait. Robot maker. No. Engineer. Postal office worker. Nope. Oh. Fire brigade. Nope. Oh, like rehab between slavery and getting a regular job. Getting closer. Abolitionist hospital. No. (laughs) Johnny Abolish Seed. (laughs) Preacher to whales. No. He created the bicycle. No. Uh, he, <laughs> he, uh, he created a scarecrow Jesus. No. He... As a prototype. Oh, well, it was the straw Jesus first, then the brick Jesus. That sounds like a real, sounds like a real, sounds like a real straw man argument there. Cha, 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 cha. No, he created the role of parole officer. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So before that, you, uh, you just were released from prison and you were back in society. And guess what? You ended up back in prison because you didn't know how society worked anymore. Uh, so he, he helped create the role of parole officer, which is the whole point of them is, hey, they, they get you back into society. So now is when things start to get weird, which I know you've all been waiting for with bated breath. So in 1852, uh, so in 1852, uh, so, <laughs> sorry, I was about to, I was sneezing. So in 1852, John's daughter, Safrona, gets him into magnetic healing and talking to spirits. John begins writing what he says are messages from the late John Murray, the, the remember John Murray, the founder of, Univer- of American Universalism? Mm-hmm. And so uh, John Murray Spear declares himself the chosen Murray, the chosen, <laughs> the chosen <laughs> Murray, the chosen medium of John Murray. Can, can you make this the title of this episode, The, <laughs> the Chosen, chosen Murray? Murray. <laughs> the chosen medium of John Murray, Thomas Jefferson, Ben Franklin, and Ben Rush, along with a few other founding fathers thrown in. Why do you think he's so special? And he calls them the Congress of Spirits. I've definitely heard of this before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the Congress through John is uh, not doesn't quite uh, match up to their historical beliefs. Thomas Jefferson argues against slavery. Ben Rush talks about health, medicine, and the healing power of animal magnetism. And the entire collective uh, urges for the founding of spiritual communities. Wasn't Thomas Jefferson famous for having slaves? Yep. I didn't know he argued against slavery. He, he did. He, he changed <laughs> his mind oh, after he died. died. Yeah. Ghost after Thomas he went Jefferson up, went up to Thomas Universal. Jefferson. I see now. Yeah. Went up to heaven, met God. God was like, hey, you're saved, but slavery was bad. And Jefferson was like, oh. Well, if I'm I ever see. called to a Congress of Ghosts, happening. then I will. <laughs> Makes way more sense now. Mm-hmm. And Ben Franklin apparently didn't stop inventing when he died. Because <laughs> through John Murray that Spear, he delivers the plans for a perpetual motion machine, an electric thinking engine, an electric boat, an intercontinental telepathy network, and an improved sewing machine. Well, this is the same thing as um, Mrs. Sane, that... Um, they're getting legitimacy by channeling mm-hmm. someone with more power. Yeah. Mm. Yes. That, so that's one thing. Yeah. He, it could be that he was, he was gaining legitimacy by channeling people with more power, as Mrs. Satan did, or uh, her actual name, which was insert actual name here, because Mrs. Satan was the name her enemies gave her. And, oh, right. Yeah. Remind me what Dorothy? year we're in when, in your story. 1832. 1852? 1852. 1852 <laughs> might have been the beginning of it. Like back when they were about abolitionist hospital people. Oh, probably. <laughs> but he was born in 1804. Right? 1904. 1904. Oh, he was and definitely then, born in 1904. Oh That's goodness. why people were gasping in 1852. <gasps> <laughs> this man is, is 46 <laughs> years too young. <laughs> yes, like Victoria Woodhull, perhaps he was channeling those with more power in order to gain legitimacy. Which uh, might have helped because he also at that point started spouting what were for that time much more controversial views, such as he came out against marriage and believed that relationships should be founded on love and mutual decency, believed in free love, that you should be able to have sex with whoever you'd like as long as it's consensual, uh, and believed that women uh, should have the right to turn down sex from their husbands and only uh, have babies if, if they want to. All of these were things he was proponent of and – Sounds like and through him Woodhull. and through him. So were Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and Ben Rush. Yeah, wait, who is the guy who is pro? He suddenly one of the ghosts who is pro animal magnetism and then free love kind of came up at the same time. <laughs> hey, you know, if you got it, 
If you got animal magnetism, you can get more free love. If you got animal magnetism, push for progressive ideals of society. And and this is when he was doing something called magnetic healing? Magnetic healing, yes. I've not heard of this. Oh, it was a whole thing where you – like back when magnets and electromagnetism were starting to be developed and understood in a more broad way where you could – that started like be like, oh, you can amp up a, a magnet and make it into an electromagnet and you make electricity and do all this shit. Uh, magnets were a whole big thing. People believed that by waving magnets over themselves, placing magnets in certain ways, uh, you could heal yourself and encourage the animal humors to move more freely. Hmm. There were also some uh, people who I believed in um, magnetic mesmerism, which was its own whole crazy thing, which I would love to talk about another time, which was basically what it sounds like. You use magnets to, you know, zonk people out and take control of their minds. It so, wasn't a – yeah. So was this a, a precursor to crystals? Yes. Crystal energy. Crystal energy, except magnet energy. Hmm. Um, Same shit, different day. <laughs> <laughs> so he was disavowed by the more conservative spiritualists. And For some reason. <laughs> also by most women's rights advocates who at the time were more concerned with uh, getting the vote than reproductive rights. Understandably, and especially with the morals of the day. So he was rejected by all these groups. He was seen as a crazy person for some reason. And so he believed that, you know, the only thing left to do for him was to usher in a new age with the help of the Congress of Spirits, or as he then started calling them, the Association of Electrizers. He and several of his followers headed to Lynn, Massachusetts to bring the machine that that would give mankind freedom. (gasps) 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 Ready? Ready? (gasps) So... In Lynn, Massachusetts, John Murray Spear designs the plans for the new motive power, a mechanical messiah that would bring about true paradise. It was going to be built of zinc, copper, magnets, and a dining room table. (laughs) (laughs) He he projected the plans over nine months to build it, decisively so. Yeah, deciding that each stage would have a uh, you know a, a mirror in the conception of a human child. Wait, whoa, whoa, wait. <laughs> You're not that on that one, so, it, so he decided that it was going to take nine months to build it and that they would take nine months building it deliberately because uh, nine months is how long the... human gestation takes. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Yeah. I very much so misunderstood that so, and thought that each table was going to be a stage and on each table stage there would was be going the to be mirrors in the shape of small children. Uh, face of children. That's what I heard. I can see how you would get there from what I said, but I I I don't understand how you would get there from what I said. If, if you see what I mean, no, that's what I was visualizing too. So Sam, how did you totally say him? How did I put all that in your heads? Right, when it's you pro- read the line one more time, you know, I want to hear it again. It probably also came from the whole talking about people all in with this sure, sure, weird sure. bike machine, so, all biking down yeah. the highway together. Yeah. <clears throat> so the nine months that he projected to take to build the mechanical messiah were supposed to deliberately mirror the conception and gestation of a human child. Right? That's much okay, more that's sounded more clear this time. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so the mirror definitely all the mirrors we the yeah, we heard it as the noun instead of the verb and it just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the mirrors of children. Children mirrors. Mm-hmm. Yep. So they Classic. they created precisely milled parts. They put it together Here's the description of the new motive power. From the center of the table rose two metallic uprights connected at the top by a revolving steel shaft. The shaft supported a transverse steel arm from whose extremities were suspended two large steel spheres enclosing magnets. Beneath the spheres there appeared a very curiously constructed fixture, sort of an oval platform formed of a peculiar combination of magnets and metals. Directly above this were suspended a number of zinc and copper plates, alternately arranged and said to correspond with the brain as an electric reservoir. These were supplied with lofty metallic conductors or attractors, reaching upwards to an elevated stratum of atmosphere said to draw power directly from the atmosphere. In combination with these principal parts were adjusted various metallic bars, plates, wires, magnets, insulating substances, peculiar chemical compounds, etc., at certain points around the circumference of these structures and connected with the center, small steel balls enclosing magnets were suspended. A magnetic connection with the earth, both positive and negative, corresponding with the two lower limbs, right and left of the body, was also provided. There were also uh, an arrangement for inhalation and respiration and a large flywheel to give it a professional appearance. Can't look good without that flywheel. <laughs> yep. Mm-mm. 
How's it work? So. How, slash wait how, for yeah, how was it supposed to work? So, at the end of the nine months, uh, John Murray Spears and a woman who is unfortunately only known as the New Mary went through, ritually birthed the new mechanical messiah in the hopes that it would gain, uh, it would come to life and gain sentience and begin producing new machines by which the new age of enlightenment would be created. It's like a weird sci, like sci-fi pre-sci-fi kind of. It, it gets weirder because Ooh, it does because over this nine months, uh, when they started making it before Spears like encased himself in this whole mechanical suit with all these like gizmos and bobbles and yugas. Uh, and this whole like electrical display went Wait, through. So he wore it. No, he it wore, wasn't a separate... He wore another suit and oh, used okay. it to ritually impregnate. Get at impregnate the woman Mary, known as Mary, who then began exhibiting signs of pregnancy. Now, today we know this is probably hysterical pregnancy, brought on by her extreme belief in this. But to them, to the the this cult, it looked like it was working. So, did he have followers? Oh yeah, yeah, he had a whole cult. You know, he was he was a man who had like achieved a lot. He was a very convincing speaker, very good speaker. Um, and he, he had attracted a lot of followers and people who believed in his vision for the future, who believed he was talking to Ben Franklin, who believed he was talking to Thomas Jefferson, who believed that the new motive power would bring upon the earth a new age of spiritual enlightenment. I now see why we needed to hear the first part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause if you, yeah. Yeah. So the new motive power did not work. <laughs> oh no what <laughs> i know i know it didn't spontaneously make more machines it didn't you're lying machines. <laughs> it didn't it didn't uh it didn't come to life it wasn't the new mechanical it wasn't the allspark from uh transformers no it wasn't the allspark from transformers we're all pretty disappointed is that where transformers got the idea i think we, Ooh. yes absolutely <laughs> Rip off. yeah um but so unfortunately his life and work were eclipsed by the new mode of power. He went on and lived his life. Uh, at the age of, I think it was 68, he retired from preaching and died about 15 years later. Aww. And near his death, he wrote, Dearly have I loved the work in which I was engaged. I have been helped to see that there was a living, guiding, intelligent, beneficent purpose. The elevation, regeneration, and redemption of the inhabitants of this earth. How long did he wait until he decided that the machine was really not Jesus? And how much did he blame it on the ghost of Ben Franklin? Mm. And the new Mary. Because let's, let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. Gotta have a scapegoat. <gasps> Apparently an angry mob tore it apart. Aww. <laughs> Just like the real Jesus. Uh, although that Ooh. that may not have actually happened. And the robot that tried to cross the country by itself. And got beaten to crap in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing about what? that. Oh, here's, here's where it is. So two things happened. We're not ready it. for robots, even in the 21st century. So the Messiah was dismantled and moved to Randolph, New York, where it might have the advantage of that lofty electrical position. And in Randolph, it was put into a temporary shed, but a mob broke in, trampled the machine, tore it apart, and scattered the pieces. Nothing of it survived. Until the, one day, yeah, the, everyone's table started, uh, the good table started ascending to heaven and the bad <laughs> tables were left on earth. Mm -hmm. So maybe that new mob, that mob tore it apart because it was starting to work and it threatened humanity. I like to yeah. think that that's true. Mm -hmm. I think the world would be a better place if we all believed that to be true. <laughs> so that's the story of John Murray Spear and the new motive power, the mechanical messiah for the modern era. I was open more for like a real steel plot. Uh, like he just gets he gets beaten up a lot. I mean, which is not what happens in real steel. But he is like, I can't take any more of these like uh, beatings at meetings. Uh, these these meeting beatings. <laughs> these meeting beatings, and he just builds a, a mechanical uh, fighting messiah. To, to... <laughs> I, I, Wait, I was hoping for like a Wally situation where he's just oh. trying to like piece the earth back together. Mm. And he's the only one who still cares. Weighing in at. Twelve ounces, the tiny terror, the miniature messiah, it's tiny robot Jesus, and piloting him is his daddy and spiritual guide, John Murray Spear. They must be, like, super tiny, because twelve ounces is not very, very much weight. It's the passion of the punches. <laughs> He's got a crucifixation with kicking ass. <laughs> That's good.
Uh, he turns water into wine and oil into ass-kicking. <laughs> <laughs> if you built a robot, who would you want to inspire it? As in, uh, as in, like the, this is actually this person embodied in this like mechanical. I more like, who's your electrical congress? Was that? The yeah, name? the electrical congress. Like, who's your electrical congress? I would actually like somebody who was bad at making machines to inspire them, because I, I would, I would want to see how how badly it would go. <laughs> I think it would go just about the same. <laughs> so I don't know if having a bad inventor would have made any difference then. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a bad inventor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's almost like we don't remember them very well. Huh. Yeah. And they don't have to make a Jesus robot. They can make any kind of robot. Yeah. No, I keep fixating on like if I had to make a robotic of blank of something in history, what would I pick? But no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the Congress. Um, I think my inspiration, like my, my ghost uh, – it's a good word for it. My, my ghost, yeah. Oh, I was you're gonna in, say my my in, ghost muse, my ghost mentor. Your inspiration. My inspiration. Yeah. I like that. There you go. Uh, it would be Rosie the Riveter. Ooh, she had mechanical prowess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say Rosie from the Jetsons. <laughs> also a good answer. Uh, can I say the the guy who built the mechanical Turk, which was a robot that played chess, but was in fact a a dwarf. Uh, hidden inside of a robot oh, I do that played that chess, story. <laughs> uh, who played chess for the robot, uh, mm-hmm. apparently very well. So I would like it to be like actually invented by that inventor, but also not actually work and have to rely on trickery. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I'm going to just say Emperor Norton from the previous, <laughs> the self-proclaimed Emperor of America, because he's had a lot of, he's a character. A real character, a real inventive character. And he could have uh, issued currency that you could use to uh, buy parts to build the robot. Yep. Yep. So let's go to our break. Hi. Welcome to the break. How's it going? Good. Isn't it fun here in the break? Things are great. Yeah. It, it's been a little stressful talking Max, about what, history. Why did you lock the door, Max? Hmm? Oh, that's because we're on break, Noel. What? You, you Max. Max. What do you mean? What's out? Get, you, no, the, window, the windows are locked, too. That's right. You can't leave until we finish the break. Okay. Max, why, why did you put the oven on, Max? Oh, uh, well, we need to have uh, a good reason to do the break fast, so we want to make sure that we finish the break before gas fills the room, okay? So let's just do the break real fast, real efficient, okay? Because we're, we're running low on time in this episode. Okay, good, good, good. We want to make sure we get to LJ's story and have plenty of time for it. So Wait, what's what, why are you pulling out matches? Oh, oh well, this is, this is, <laughs> I'm going to light one match. Every, every time you interrupt me Where'd for a bad reason. I'm going, Save us, Robot Jesus. I'm going to light one of these matches. Okay? Every time you interrupt me for for a bad reason, I'm going to light a match. Okay? That's going to keep keep us on track. Okay, good. Good. All right. So, hi. I dare you to light it. Okay. Oh. <laughs> okay, look, not enough gas in here yet. All right, so let's keep going. Okay. So, hi. Uh, so, thank you so much for listening to our fun little podcast here. I hope you're enjoying this nice, calming break. Yes. So, if you like our show, why not leave us a review on iTunes? In fact, please do leave us a review on iTunes, Podbean, or Stitcher. Uh, five stars preferred, obviously, but whatever you want to do. It really helps us meet, uh, reach new people and new listeners. Or, hey, tell a friend. We'd love you to tell any of your friends about our show. You're having fun. We're having fun. You've listened this long. <coughs> Oh, gas is starting to get in here. You can also contact us at itsanachronismo at gmail.com or on Twitter at at anacpodcast at, that's A-N-A-C podcast. We're also part of the Make Fun Network, which is a great network of shows that are just, you know, about being fun and goofy and silly and having a good time. It includes, uh, Top Five of Death, where people bring in top five lists and die, uh, like we will if we don't finish this break soon. <laughs> I have so many regrets. <laughs> we all do. We all do. <laughs> And also, This Rules This Sucks, a review podcast without nuance. Uh, LJ, do you have uh, anything to plug before? Oh, I should get up and start getting that that oven. Okay, so I I do an improvised show Uh with Jackie Uh that's at the Democracy Center Uh every first Friday at 8. Uh-huh. 8.30 is What's when the show starts, yes. right? Okay. Yeah, well, how much does it cost? It's free, but if you wanted to throw us just a little something, uh-huh. that would really brighten my day. Oh, I'm getting lighted. What's it called? 
It's called Improvised History. Oh, wonderful. And this Democracy Center, this is, this is the one in Cambridge? Yeah, in, Har- in Harvard in Square. In Harvard Square. Oh, that's nice. Cambridge, Massachusetts, Harvard Square. 8.30 p.m. First Friday. First Friday of the month. <laughs> Free with a station notation. Remember, you did this to yourself. <laughs> that's right. Light another match. Here we go. And we're back from the break. Hi, everybody. We're all spirits now. Ooh, uh, how apropos after our last story. Yes, the new Ghost Congress is in session. Hooray! New Ghost Podcast. New Ghost Podcast. Let's possess these microphones. Anyone listening, you need two pieces of plywood, six pieces of corrugated tin, and a dining room table. <laughs> Nail all of these together. Now, put your Say iPhone... It. On the dining room table and start playing anachronismo as loud as it goes. Invite friends over. Lock the doors. Make sure they listen. Tell them to like and subscribe. Put some sheets of zinc around. Add a festive gourd for a nice cozy winter feeling. And then after you're done listening to anachronismo, get that smooth jazz going. Boom. Oh my god, they're all dead! <laughs> so, LJ, uh, tell us about your story. Or just tell us your story. I think I'll tell it. Speaking of marvelous mechanical machinery and feminism, tell us about feminism and bicycles. Bicycles. Not bicycles. So today I'm going to be talking about the feminist history of bicycles. The first bicycles, as many people have probably guessed, were for men only. But that didn't stop female bike pioneers. So the first bicycles developed in the early 19th century were almost exclusively for men. The earliest known, and this is what I was referring to earlier, was known as the bone shaker. <laughs> nice. It was a I great... bet it was. <laughs> it's only for men. Gotta shake that bone. Uh, they were made with uh, wooden wheels. Mm. There was no, they didn't have the rubber and the inflatable tires or mm. anything yet. So they literally just shook people who rode them around. And it was uh, marketed as a macho accessory, having a bone shaker bike. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say all. something else. Nah, nah, that's all I need. <laughs> <laughs> so the bicycles were, up until the 1890s, considered masculine accessories for multiple reasons, one of which was the fact that they couldn't be ridden side saddle, which was considered the only delicate way for a woman to ride anything. I'm going to interrupt real quick to say that I used to ride my bike side saddle. It is very difficult, but possible. How? You sandwich the pedal between your feet. One uh-huh. foot under the pedal. <laughs> Why would you do this, Jackie? It just, it just seems so unnecessary. Oh I just want to point out that Jackie is setting us back several centuries yeah, by riding her bike that way. Well, listen, this is the fun way to do it. I, LJ, it's very I, exhausting because you have to use your legs in a different way. LJ, correct me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't it be Jackie's choice if she, uh, however Ooh. she wants to ride her bicycle, regardless of what society says? Uh. And I, I, I'm, I'm just a simple country man, but I, I, I always thought feminism was about empowering women to uh, to live their life however they please. Mm-hmm. Screw you, Max. <laughs> Let's, <laughs> Let's tie Max down. <laughs> there are some limitations to choose your choice feminism. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, so eventually came along, and by eventually I mean within a few years, came along the invention of the air quotes here, safety bicycle. Did it have brakes? I feel like the <laughs> bone shakers didn't have brakes. <laughs> no, so the safety bicycle and Bone Shaker did not have brakes. It was what's considered a fixed gear bicycle. You just have to keep pedaling. But course, I could be wrong about that, yes, so don't quote me on it's it. It's a fixie, yeah. But the safety bicycle changed everything because its wheels were the same size, but it had tires that were inflated, which made it a lot more comfortable. And it was deemed appropriate for children. And some women decided that it was appropriate for them as well. It was a radical decision for a number of reasons. Bicycles were meant to be used by male riders only, so you could ride them rapidly and without a chaperone, and you could use them to exercise freely in public. Two men, an editorial from 1896, quoted, The bicycle in the beginning was merely a new toy, another machine added to the long list of devices they knew in the in their... <laughs> it's so hard to read. <laughs> Try doing a voice for it. I find that helps me. 
Mm. To men, the bicycle in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Keep going. In the beginning, there was bicycle. And bicycle spake and said, spoke. (laughs) And spoke there was. (laughs) To men, the bicycle in the beginning was merely a new toy. Another machine added to the long list of devices they knew in their work and play. But to women, it was a steed on which they rode into a new world. This led to people seeing the bicycle as a sexual threat. This is a fun section of this. This, <laughs> this part, bicycle's going to seduce your women away. Oh, much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Bicycles didn't just give women a way to get around freely. Hold on, hold on, hold on. After all, they all have handlebar mustaches. Was I had that to make, worth it? I, I, had to, <laughs> I had to say it or I was going to explode. <laughs> Bicycling didn't just give women a way to get around freely. It also surprisingly played a role in women's sexual liberation. Purely because some people believe that if women went around straddling something, they would start having orgasms all over the place. <laughs> Which, needless to say, these people thought was a bad thing. Uh, this is the this same town just... hall meetings and everything where they're like, no, not the bicycles. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes to the bone shakers. <laughs> that lady in that bicycle are hate- headed to make out point. It's... She'll smooch its gears and get her tongues stuck in the chain. And then where will we be? Yo, what if a bicycle gives a woman an orgasm when a man can't? Soon when will we marrying bicycles? We'll have half man, half bicycle children. Centaur bicycles, if you will. We'll be we'll be doomed. We'll be subjugated by this new superior race of mansicles. We'll have to hide upstairs in order to get away from them. Or create Curves just a little too high so they'll fall over on their faces. <laughs> what kind of world will that be? Uh, we'll have to arm ourselves with sticks every day to shove through their wheels. <laughs> I'm done. Okay. <laughs> so and Andrew Denning explained in his book. We'll hear them coming by the fury of their bells. <laughs> Sorry. Traditionalist fulminated against the idea of the bicycle as an instrument that would instigate a sexual awakening. Whether personal, as many people expressed trepidation about a woman straddling a bicycle seat and experiencing the shocks and vibrations of the road, or socially, as bicycles gave women the freedom to escape the watchful eyes of parents and chaperones. I much like this line. This was by this article writer. They wrote, The 19th century's shocking vibrator slash Uber alternative was no wonder that... <laughs> Sorry. It's called Wait. bicycles. It's like Uber for orgasms. So it was, uh, I, missed the, I missed the line on the last page. It says, Bicycles, the 19th century's shocking vibrator slash Uber alternative. No wonder feminists love them. <laughs> such a weird sentence. <laughs> You can tell that was written by someone in Silicon Valley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Got douche chills just hearing that sentence. So the 19th century had women who you know were fighting against the mold to ride their bikes. But some people actually thought it was a good thing for women to ride bikes because they thought it would make them more fit for motherhood. So they saw the bike as a way to basically make themselves uh, more fit and therefore better for bearing children versus the opposite issues that people had with it. So literally, no no men anywhere were on the right side of this. <laughs> no. <laughs> Even the ones on the liberal side of things were way, way over the line. <laughs> it's not a tool or a, what was it, latest toy? Was that what it said? Toy for play and work, I believe was the phrasing. Or, yeah. <laughs> not a toy for play and work. A motherhood training device mm-hmm. or an illicit Orgasm machine. (laughs) Yes. The only issue that they found, speaking of getting people fit for motherhood, though, was you had to be careful about what doctors deemed bicycle face, you know, resting bicycle face, if you will. It was the tense expression of concentration required for dodging traffic would ruin their beauty and that the whole practice would make their bow legged, would make them bow legged from too much pedaling. But... Wouldn't being bow-legged be good for delivering babies? Because as I understand it... (laughs) I'm going to cut you off. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so I just, I love that term. Uh, Bicycle face. It was a a medical term in the late 1800s. I I would absolutely listen to a band called Bicycle Face. That's my challenge to you, internet. Make it a band. Uh, So the liberation movement continued on. There was... uh, 
great advances in clothing and women started, you know, instead of wearing their long skirts, which tended to sometimes get caught in their pedals. Mm-hmm. And their they short jackets. Short skirt, long jacket. Yes. <laughs> Other way around, though, yes. <laughs> so they would wear bloomers, uh, which was very scandalous, or very short skirts, which was also scandalous. And bicycles were then associated with the new woman and feminism. So you were talking about the new... Deal? Electric no, I Congress? have the worst memory. New motive power. New motive power. The bicycle was about the new woman. And a motive power for them. New mobile yes. power. Yeah. So the tie between bicycles, which made women don more masculine dress and go out in the world, and the increasingly strong women's equality movement across Europe and the United States didn't go unnoticed, either by suffragettes themselves or by cartoonists. The late 19th and early 20th century were filled with caricatures of lady bicyclists doing such ridiculous things as smoking, rushing off to protests, or trying to get the vote, often while wearing masculine clothing and leaving their husbands at home with the baby. (gasps) Bicycle riding women were seen as exemplars of the new woman who didn't necessarily want to have children, be deprived of a career, or have a political voice, and were accordingly praised and or browbeaten as such. This just sounds crazy familiar with current (laughs) political standings, but this was the late 18th century, and we've come so far since then. The new woman and bikes were so symbolic that when Cambridge undergraduates protested the admission of women in 1897, they did it by hanging up an effigy of a woman on a bicycle. Could you imagine hanging an effigy in protest anymore? No, like, that'd be really awkward. <laughs> to, be, to not even be a specific person, but to be a group of people, that's... I mean, even a specific person is bad. But. I mean, people still do the specific person one. I don't know about the group of people one. Yeah, specific person, less bad. Like... Group of people, yeah. not a scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot more violent to be a whole group of people. Very threatening. Mm. Yeah. Also, just getting a bicycle up there in FG. That would be heavy. Well, we'll get into the weight of bicycles further down in the story. Um, but moving through the feminism movement, the suffragettes, of course, championed bikes as a tool of liberation. Suffragettes embraced bicycles both symbolically and physically. Are you just... <laughs> you were doing that to me. No, I, know, I was just... I, I, did, I did realize it because I You're heard you do it. You're better talking through it, though. Before, I, I thought we were just going to leave you to be the only one gasping at that. Popular Women's Monthly, Goaties, declared in the 1890s that there's something women of every class have welcome as a shorter road to freedom than wide, welcoming college doors or open gateways to the polls. In possession of her bicycle, the daughter of the 19th century feels that the declaration of her independence has been proclaimed. Mm. Susan B. Anthony herself wrote in 1896 what she believed of the bicycle, which is that it has done more to emancipate women than any other thing in the world, and that she rejoices every time she sees a woman ride by on a bike. Moving on. I had no idea that it like was that important of a of a symbol. Oh like yeah, a, yeah. Women got to be real free on their bicycles. It was great. So. The bicycle, it was a practical means for campaigning and drawing attention to English suffragettes in particular would ride around on bicycles with votes for women banners in the 1910s and suffragettes blocked Winston Churchill's motorcade with bicycles. The suffragette movement even had its own special bicycle in 1909, an advertisement for it in the colors of the suffrage movement and with a medallion of freedom appeared in the pages of the magazine Votes for Women. Women's rights activists weren't always totally in favor, though. Mm, Speaking of being on the wrong side, Charlotte Smith of Lawrence County, who undertook huge campaigns on behalf of working women, establishing schools and addressing Congress, decided that bicycles were of the devil (laughs) and would hire campaigners to impede any woman on a bicycle they saw. Doesn't mean just get in the way of the bicycle so she has (laughs) to choose whether to ram into you or like wobble to the side? Yep, pretty much. So messed up. However, Smith's kind would lose out. From female inventors like Annie Londonderry, who took the world by storm, and I'll be speaking about more in a moment, to its more prosaic uses, varying women from place to place, bicycles were strongly in the 
firmament of feminism. And there they've stayed. So I just wanted to take you briefly through the history so you could really appreciate the story of Annie Londonderry. And for those people listening out there who are very intrigued by bicycling in general, another strong, awesome lady to look up is Kitty Knox, but I don't have time to talk to about her today. She's a fellow Bostonian, a woman of color. She was a black woman who rode um, in races and beat a lot of men. It was just very cool. So look that one up. So feminism and the bicycle are very closely interlinked and they it really did a lot for the women's liberation movement. But one story in particular that I wanted to focus on is the story of Annie Londonderry, uh, who was originally named her or her given name was Annie Kopchowski. Mm -hmm. And she is a Jewish woman from the Boston area. So that just seemed very appropriate for me to read about a Jewish woman from Boston who rides her bike. (laughs) Why is that? Because I'm a Jewish woman from Boston who rides my bike. Oh, now I see the connection. (laughs) I just wanted to make that super clear. But anyway, so Annie Londonderry is famous for biking around the world between 1894 and 1895. Like circumnavigating the world on a bicycle? You will find out. I suppose I will. (laughs) This is the first time I'm reading this, too. (laughs) Well, fuck me, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, she circumnavigated the world. I'd like to imagine when she was on the boat, she had to set up a stationary bike, but she wasn't allowed to stop because the boat was always moving. So she had to keep doing it if she wanted to claim that she had biked around the world. Well, Jackie, that's when they had steamboats. So what they did was they unhooked the engine for the paddle boat. And they put it on the bicycle. Yes, and they put it on the bicycle. And uh, she had to pedal the entire boat full of all the people. You're going to be really disappointed. I, I Well, I'm going to set myself up for disappointment with imagining that she had a rifle with her and then true competition against hot air balloons just went gunning down. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. No, but, but I'm supposed to get back and nurse her 40 more and nine more days. I'm just imagining like an Annie get your gun kind of thing. And she just keeps shooting up at the... But that was on but here's the, the, thing. the noble steed of the bicycle yeah. instead of a horse. Here's the thing, though. She's not popping the hot air balloons. She's killing the people using them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a dark way to look at it. How about she holds the hand? Leave the man balloons alone. <laughs> They're just like a giant face stretched out over. Thank you. I'm an abomination. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the story now. <laughs> No, I have my idea. Yeah, <laughs> no, sorry, yeah, because I cut you off with that dumb, weird face on her. <laughs> this is another dumb, weird idea. Ooh. But she holds the hand of Robot Jesus, and then he walks, and she bicycles over the ocean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's walking on water, <laughs> <laughs> and he can go all day and all night because he's a machine. Yeah, yeah. A, a I man love that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how Jesus makes other people walk or float on water <laughs> by holding their hands. Then they too can walk yeah. on water. A lot of uh, modern day depictions of Jesus are not accurate. He was more table like in appearance than why, most why, people. Would say. Why in the sand? He's is, a carpenter for God's sake. Why in the sand is there only a bicycle track there? That is when I extended my wheels and you climbed aboard. <laughs> I'm a all-terrain kind of savior. <laughs> An ATG, all-terrain god. Mechanical spheres. Her adventure began, as all adventures do, with a bet. In 1894, a gentleman in Boston bet another gentleman, 20,000 against 10,000, that no woman could travel around the world by bicycle, a feat that had been completed for the first time by a man in 1885. So a mere... 10 years earlier. Although it is not clear why she was chosen, Annie Cohen Kopchowski set out from Boston on June 25th, 1894, to attempt the journey. Married and a mother of three children under six, she was an unlikely choice, but a good example of the ways that the bicycle was transforming women's lives. Besides providing women with a respectable form of independent transportation, the popularity of the bicycle led to changes in women's dress. For example, as bloomers replaced unwielding and inconvenient full skirts. Under the terms of the bet, Kopchowski, who had ridden a bicycle for the first time only days before her departure from Boston... Why did they pick her? <laughs> well, it said they didn't... 
it's You'll unclear never. why she was chosen. I like to think of it as like she heard some guys talking smack and was like, screw you, I can do this. Yeah. And that's what motivated her. Like, that's what would motivate me. She had a bad day at home with her three children and was just I'm like, like, I'm done. I'm leaving. Because the other way, it, it almost sounds like just like, you could never ride a bike around the world, person who's never ridden a bike before. <laughs> I'm just picturing she's having a bad day at home. Her three children screaming, awful. Her her. I know. Yes, building on Jackie's idea. Okay. Uh, her husband. Yep. Husband, ungrateful. That's who kept she, the re- children company for. Yeah. The ungrateful year. mansicle. Ungrateful. Regrets. She regrets marrying him. Falling out of love with him every day. There comes a bring bring at the door. Doorbells haven't been invented yet. What's ringing it? She opens the door. There's a bicycle there. The same bicycle she fell in love with in high school, but never <laughs> had the courage to ask out. Been this pining after her all this time, and has finally come to, to take her away from all of this. She can't leave, she says. She has a life here. The bicycle asks her, is there a life worth living? Bring, bring. <laughs> is that she, what happened? She climbs aboard, rides away. Her children scream and wail. Her husband screams and wails. There are no bicycles for them. The house catches fire and she leaves. Oh, no. <laughs> well, okay, I didn't you, you really, You didn't really paint her as a hero. <laughs> like, leaving a lot, your children to burn alive in their house. There's a lot house. of fire in this episode. <laughs> Fine, I'll cut out the fire. <laughs> okay. Under the terms of... The awakening. <laughs> under the terms of the bet, Kopchowski, who had ridden a bicycle for the first time only days before her departure from Boston, was supposed to begin her journey penniless, earn 5000 above her expenses along the way, which, fun fact, is with inflation, hundreds of thousands of dollars today, um, and finish her trip within 15 months. Her resourcefulness was in evidence from the first day. On her way out of Boston, she hung a placard advertising London Dairy Lithia Spring Water Company from her bicycle and accepted $100 from the company's representative in return. In addition, she agreed to be known as Annie Londonderry. Kopchowski, alias Londonderry, reached Chicago in September, and there she nearly gave up on the trip altogether. Ultimately, however, she traded in her 42-pound ladies' bicycle for a men's model that weighed half as much. So we were talking about how much uh, bicycles weigh earlier. She was on this really old, heavy, single-speed, fixed-gear bicycle trying to ride around the world, which, if you don't know this already, listener, a fixed-gear bicycle requires you to pedal no matter what. There is no such thing as coasting. And fortunately, when she got to Chicago, she's like, this is terrible. I need a real bicycle. <laughs> She had a much smoother ride from there. Her leg muscles must have just been just insane. So she got her man's model. It was half as much. And she set out again in the opposite direction, headed back east, where she sailed from New York to France in November. In France, Kopchowski earned money by carrying advertisements on her clothing and her bicycle as she rode the main streets of Marseille and other cities. Later in her trip, she would give lectures in which she embellished her story with lurid details of accidents, near-death experiences, and dangers narrowly averted. And the many times she kissed her bicycle. (laughs) (laughs) Because the terms of the bet did not specify how many miles she had to ride, Kopchowski sailed from Versailles all the way to East Asia with brief stops in Egypt, Sri Lanka, and Singapore. After a tour through China, she was in Japan by March. On March 23rd, she arrived back in the U.S. through San Francisco's Golden Gate. Over the next six months, she bicycled across the Southwest, Great Plains, and Midwest, reaching Chicago on September 12th, 1895. Just under 15 months from her original departure from Boston, only 10 months after her redeparture from Chicago, Annie Londonderry made it back to Boston a day after the 15-month mark in which she was supposed to circumnavigate the world. And she had done what the Boston gentleman had bet 20000 that no woman could do. Not only had she circumnavigated the globe by bicycle and a sounding athletic feat in itself, but she had done it alone. Because remember, her three children and her husband were... <laughs> Back in Charred skeletons her. by now. <laughs> there was no fire. They were fine. Um, she had done the feat by herself, but she, and she had done it alone, proving that a woman could make her way in what was still very much a man's world. Bucking the entrenched gender norms of her day, she had 
fended for herself and survived physical injury, mechanical problems with her bicycle, and the scrutiny of the press. In Chicago, Kopchowski collected her 10,000 prize and then rejoined her family. After a move to New York, she wrote sensational features for the New York world for the time, including an account of her trip. She seems to have then retreated to a family life, raising her three children and largely disappearing from historical record. And she died in 1947. Wow. So she rode to Chicago and then she rode back to Boston. Was that part? No, no. She rode to Chicago and then she rode to New York and got on the ship over to France. Okay. Was that part of the... So there was no agreement over the actual distance bicycled or cycled versus the just total distance travel to go around the world. Right. She just had to literally make it around the world. And I think uh, I was reading another article that said she almost gave up in Chicago based on the fact that she had this really terrible bicycle and she was just feeling really down and wasn't doing very well. And I think getting that new bicycle and rethinking her plan of how she was going to do the tour in the first place helped Kickstarter back to like, I got this, I can do it. And she smartly went to New York and went east instead of trying to make the trip um, across the U.S. in the western direction, which, by the way, in case any of you were curious, is a hard journey to take because there are a lot of headwinds as you go through the Midwest. It's actually much easier to ride from west to east than east to west. Huh. I yep. have several friends who have biked cross country. I was going to ask that and then I would feel like I, I didn't because I was like, no, that's for, that's for planes if they're right on the ground. <laughs> but nope, headwinds. There was an, another article here about 10 things you didn't know about her. And I just wanted to one real quick one because it, it cracked me up. She lied a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Something people didn't know about Annie London Day. No, me and the bike are just friends. <laughs> just friends, see? I don't even have a bicycle. It's just these long circular legs of mine. No, my children are perfectly fine. Say hello to the crowd, Skelly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I keep them on the back of my bike, who's just a friend. <laughs> so there is a lot of debate on whether or not um, the wager was ever actually set and what the amount was, or if she ever, in fact, got her prize money because she collected it in Chicago and not in Boston. So a lot of people, while they may have believed that she did travel the world, didn't believe that she actually earned any money from it. Oh. It was just a woman's fancy, see? Um, and then my my other favorite fun fact about her is that she was a rubbish cyclist. You can tell this was written by a British person. How? In, in Around the World on Two Wheels by Peter Zutlin, which is a book about her her story, Circumnavigating the World. Mm-hmm. Zutland does sound like someone who would write about bicycles. <laughs> he is quoted as saying, Annie averaged between 8 and 10 miles per hour on smooth roads and a good deal less on poor roads, very slow by modern cycling standards. So if I was on a flat, good road, I'd probably average like 15 to 16 miles per hour. And I'm a slow cyclist. So she was crawling at 8 to 10 miles per hour. <laughs> It took the more than five weeks to make the 400-mile stretch to Los Angeles from San Francisco. Had they walked, they could have made it to Los Angeles in half of the time. What? <laughs> that was their, his comment about her journey when she was going from, I guess she she biked from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And she did it so slowly, <laughs> he joked that someone walking could do it faster. <laughs> so, it, you know, you don't have to be a great rider to do great feats, I think, is where I'm really going with that. It's, yeah. It sounds like they put too much time in that bet. Yeah, 15 <laughs> months is a long time. should have made it shorter. The, the last fact on this sheet, because I don't want to go through all of them, is the fact that she did actually do it. She returned to Boston uh, within a day of departing 15 months late, you know, th- within the 15 months to the day. She may have taken a few steam-powered shortcuts, but she cycled a hell of a long way all the same. She set off carrying only a change of clothes and a pearl-handled revolver. There you go, Noel. She yep. did have a gun with her. Shooting nice. wildly as she went. <laughs> At shooting, hot air balloons. Shooting directly behind her to gain speed using the momentum of the bullet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Pausing to reload. <laughs> She's like in the hot air balloon and was like, oh, we're we're right over. We've gone over the ocean. We're about to land in San Francisco. Just shoots the balloon. It's like, why? Thanks for the ride. And just jumps off. Leaps of off in her bicycle. bicycle. Like yeah. totally breaks when it hits the ground. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Has to get up. 
load her gun and shoot the bicycle in the head. You do know that. Oh, no. <laughs> had to put it out of its misery. Yeah, had to put it down, yeah. <laughs> so she set off only with only a change of clothes and a pearl-handled revolver and ended up seeing Chicago, New York, Paris, Marseille, Alexandria, Columbia, sorry, Colombo, Singapore, Saigon, Hong Kong, Shanghai, and San Francisco. She also became a global celebrity in the process. What Annie accomplished with her bicycle in 1894 to 95 was a tour de force of moxie, self-promotion, and athleticism. Though she was a skilled rancateur and a gifted self-promoter with a penchant for embellishment and tall tales, she was also, as the evidence shows, an accomplished cyclist who covered thousands of miles by bicycle during her journey. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight, LJ, and that was a really awesome story. Thanks. But uh, I, I just want to paint one scene for you, though. Okay. She does the ride. She's back home, uh-huh. but she realizes she's not happy with her skeleton family. Like, they're all, all the charred skeletons are sitting on the, the ruins of their furniture, and she just realizes she's not happy. But her bike has gotten on a boat that's about to leave for New York in or from uh it's about to leave for New York from Boston in 10 minutes and she realizes she needs she needs this bike she wants this bike and she But she can't r- get to the boat in time yeah, so because she, she, she doesn't, doesn't have, have the bike. bike. Yeah, so she runs out and she's like what am I going to do? And this horrible mancicle just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> she's like, "Wait, stop." And she hops on. And he's like, "What get off me?" And she rides the mancicle to the boat. And the bike leaps off of it just in time. And she, and they, they ride off together away from the ruins of her home. Imagine that. Imagine that. And don't cut it. Don't cut it, Max. Don't cut it. I know you want to. I so don't want loud, you to. So loud. Turn my ears. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I'm Max. I'm Jackie. I'm Noel. And I'm LJ. And we'll see you next time here on Anachronismo. Don't you dare cut it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Make Fun Network.